Well, good morning, church. It's good to be together. Uh, I want to add my welcome to you. Um, it's great to have you in-house. Uh, it's also great to have you joining us online for those that have been able to do that. Uh, it's a special day today. We've got a lot in our service. Great to celebrate with uh, Adrian and Chloe down here a bit later in their baptisms. Looking forward to that. It's great to have some uh, family and friends and connections here celebrating with us. This morning, as we uh, continue uh, with our Great Expectations series, I want to start by asking you to consider four things. What has God said to His church? Who are we at Hume Ridge? And how has God positioned us in His kingdom work? And then finally, what does that mean uh, for you and for me. I'm going to invite you to pray with me now. Our Father God, we've just sung of your goodness, how good you are to us. We want to celebrate all that you are doing and have done and also look forward to what you want to do in and through your people here and beyond. Father, uh, may we be uh, challenged, may we be encouraged May we be refreshed in our journey of following after you as we share in this time together this morning. Take these, the words that you've laid on my heart, may they be words seasoned by your spirit that may speak into each person's heart and that we may be able to take something from here this morning that would change our life and change the lives of the others around us. We ask for your blessing in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. God is able. Two weeks ago, Brendan launched into our series and he mentioned that we live in the tension between great expectations and the reality of our lived experience. He said our greatest disappointments come from unmet expectations or unrealized expectations. When it comes to expectations of church... We develop these from three things, from what the Bible says, and we'll talk more about that this morning, uh, religious traditions, where we need to be careful that um, the way we do things doesn't become more important than why we do those things. And then our personal experiences, the way that we have experienced church, church the way the things that we've been exposed to in our journey of faith, what we've encountered. And he finished by saying that having great expectations in God is well-founded. We know that He is able. We know that He is reliable and He is loving. He is good. And we've just sung that. Then last week, Ross moved on and he talked about being uncomfortable in church. He mentioned a Christian author by the name of Brett McCracken who, when writing down a number of pages of thoughts about what makes the perfect church, he came to the realisation that when he looked back over it, that his focus was all about me. But it should have been about understanding God more and meeting Him where He is at. He spoke about hospitality and that real hospitality is treating a stranger like your brother. He spoke about family and that the church is more than just meeting together. We are brothers and sisters. And then he finished 
and drew our attention to prayer. And prayer is how we can understand God and meet Him um, where He is. Today, my tagline is, count me in. God is able, church can be uncomfortable, but count me in. What has God said to His church? The church isn't our idea, is it? We might have built buildings and we might have programs and events that help connect people with God, but church was God's design. It was God's plan for His people. He describes the church as a number of things, but He describes as the bride, as the body, as a building built on a solid foundation that cannot be destroyed. And He speaks of it as a family. And in that, in all of these pictures, we're called to demonstrate and to declare the grace and the truth about Jesus. Have a look with me in Acts 2, as we see a description of how the early church functioned. In Acts 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There it is. Let's just do it. Pretty clear. That's how the early church did it. That's how people came to know Jesus. Nice if it was as easy as that. There are many other scriptures throughout the New Testament where um, God describes how His church should function, what it should look like, what is he saying to his church? How were they to, dis- to demonstrate and to declare the grace and truth of Jesus? Here are just a few of them, and I literally have just pulled out a few from the New Testament. In Ephesians 4, they were called to live in peace with one another and to make every effort to do that. In Philippians 2, they were told to have the same attitude as Christ, one of humility and sacrificial love. In Matthew 28, they were called to go and to make disciples. In Matthew 6, they were uh, called to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, to get their focus on the right things. In Romans 12, they are called to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed. And in Hebrews 10, they were called to gather together and to not stop doing that. Right towards the end of the New Testament, the Apostle John in chapter uh, 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation records what God had to say to a handful of his churches. He commended them for various things. But he also warned them or called them to make correction or to get in order some other aspects of church life that had gone astray. 
Warren Wearsby, uh, who's the author of the Bible Exposition Commentaries, says that God gives an x-ray snapshot of each church's condition. But he intended for all churches to read these messages and benefit from them. Those letters to the churches were written to seven churches, but it was intended for all. That's why it is in our scriptures. What can we learn from it? What can we gain? What can we benefit from reading and thinking and reflecting on those seven letters? Wearsby also says, however, that it's important to also remember that these messages are for churches gathered, but they are for individuals. Because the reality is that we, as individuals, are we the church. And so we need to examine our own hearts personally, you and I, to read about the church, but then to apply that to myself. We, you and I, are the church. And in the end of each of these letters in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, um, the writer finishes with this phrase in each one. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The individual, let us hear what he has to say to the church. Here is a very quick summary of what the Apostle John said. To the church in Ephesus, he said, you're busy and you're serving and it's amazing and you've guarded against false teachers, but you have forgotten or abandoned your first love. To the church at Smyrna, he says, you've remained faithful in affliction and in abject poverty. They had absolutely nothing and yet he calls them rich although they had nothing. And he encouraged them that they need to do not or don't be afraid. Remain faithful throughout the difficult times. To the church in Pergamum, he says, uh, you have been courageous and you have remained true to God, but yet you've compromised and you've accepted some false teaching, a challenge to be careful. To the church at Thyatira, he says, you've persevered, but you've tolerated sexual immorality and idolatry. You've allowed something else to take God's place. To the church in Sardis, he says, you trusted in your old reputation. You've become comfortable uh, and content. You're living in the past or celebrating past glories. You need to repent and strengthen what little remains. Don't live in the past experience. It needs to be something you're enduring in right now. To the church in Philadelphia, he says, you have struggled, you have little strength uh, left, but you have remained faithful and you have patiently endured. And finally, to the church in Laodicea, he says, you're lukewarm. That's a pretty awful image, isn't it? Lukewarm. He says, you've lost your concern for the lost. Uh, you've become reliant on self, not God. You need to sort that out. It's a bit confronting, isn't it, when we think that this was written to seven churches, but it's there for all of us to think and to reflect on. We, the church. Is there parts there 
that I identify with, that I need to bring into check and to sort out. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says this, while these churches may illustrate various stages in the history of the church, that was probably not the main reason why these particular assemblies were selected. Instead, these letters remind us that the exalted head of the church knows what is going on in each assembly and that our relationship to him and his word determines the life and the ministry of the local church. Listen to those underlined sections again. These letters remind us that the exalted head of the church knows what is going on. He knows our heart. And that our relationship to him and to his word is what is going to determine the life and the ministry of the local church. Our connection with the head of the church, Christ. Now, many of you know that uh, I'm a teacher out at Toowoomba Christian College, TCC. Um, it's been a big week, um, final assemblies and awards and special events. But at TCC, the primary school um, holds strongly to certain values uh, that we want to be known for. Every week at our parade, the students declare who we are. So the teacher leading parade at the start will say, we are, and the kids will all call out, kind. We are encouraging. We are thoughtful. We are forgiving. We are respectful. And we are communicators. And then all the students yell, sometimes in a loud voice, that probably wakes the secondary students up down in the other part of the campus. They say, this is who we are. Living for Jesus, T we are TCC. I can guarantee that even five and six-year-old preps at TCC know what we stand for. They know our values. They can articulate the things that are important in our primary school. Now, living it out is, uh, is a different practice, <laughs> and it's another step. Um, but they can articulate it, and they're on their way. They are working hard on it, and I should include the teaching staff as well. They know who they are. Can I pose the question to us? Who are we? What about you and I here at Hume Ridge? What are our values? What are we known for? Some time ago, we tried to articulate some of the things we believe were important to us as values. I want to ask, are we faithful? Are we trustworthy? Are we generous? Are we inclusive? Are we relevant? Does the demonstration of uh, our faith make sense to others? and draw them closer to knowing and loving the God who knows and loves them? Are we knowing God and His Word? Are we growing as followers? Are we showing and sharing the grace and the truth of Jesus? Recently, one of the elders asked the other board members to consider 
what we loved about this community, this church, Hume Ridge. We're still discussing this together, um, but I wrote down the following things. I said, I love that multiple generations worship and serve together with a mutual respect. I love that we are generous when asked or when a need arises, it is met. I love that we have an effective, proven and inclusive youth work and children's ministry. And incidentally, I'm so grateful that my kids have been and continue to be a part of that. I love that being a larger church allows for many and diverse ministry opportunities. As I thought more about who we are at Hume Ridge, I believe that Hume Ridge is on a journey and we're growing. I believe that we are embracing cultural diversity and accepting others. I believe that we're engaging practically and powerfully with youth. Uh, Ross has said that you would be hard-pressed to find another group of young people as diverse and different as our youth work anywhere. In fact, this week, 260 of them will go to a camp. And it's a comment that has been made about them often. Where is this group from? Who is this mix of people? And why are they all getting on so well? I believe we're experiencing growing unity as a congregation. We're meeting needs within our community, physical, emotional, uh, social and spiritual needs. And I believe we have eyes to look outside and beyond our four walls. I think we are knowing God, not just about Him, but we're making connection with Him. I believe we're growing as followers. Just this year, we've seen over 30 people come to a place of wanting to be baptised, taking another step in their growth as a follower of Jesus. I think we do show the love of Christ in our actions. I believe we are sharing the love of God in our message and in our words. God is at work and we're moving. Are we there yet? No way. We have to be honest. We're on a journey, but God is taking us and moulding us and shaping us and we are moving. And that is exciting. Just like the kids at my school, they know who we are at TCC and they're learning to live out those values in everyday life. My prayer is that we know who we are. What do we value as Hume Ridge? We have more to do, but we need to be grateful and thankful for what God has already done and is doing. I was so glad that that song, The Goodness of God, was sung just before I started to speak. I want, us, I want you just to pause for a moment and have a listen to what one of the other elders in our team um, has to say about Hume Ridge and his family. Well, my wife Beck and I have been a part of Hume Ridge for quite a number of years now. Uh, we call it our church family, our, our, our home. We've had such an amazing experience here building relationships with people and being able to serve in many different areas. And just, I guess, for ourselves, just to see our own, uh, our own faith grow and our own experiences of God 
uh, and seeing God work in other people uh, around the church has been amazing. Uh, when, when we had kids, it really made us have a think about what the church not only meant for us, but what the church meant for them. And, and I guess assess for ourselves what we wanted the, the church experience to be for our kids. As they've got a bit older, uh, it's been really amazing to see them uh, get involved and get involved in the programs that are run by Ross and, and Bagel and, and Kelsey and the rest of the crew and just to see them find their place and to find uh, not just that they have a place here but um, they can take ownership of it as their church and not just mum and dad's church but uh, their church. I think back to the family service just a few weeks ago and it was just amazing to see not just my kids up there but uh, just such a amazing diverse range of kids up there from all sorts of backgrounds um, just really coming together and declaring the truth of Jesus in a place where they've been able to learn about who they are in Christ uh, and that was really exciting to me it was really exciting that that was my kids experience of being a part of a church I think to later that day and we, we came along to the 5 p.m. prayer service and uh, if you haven't been along to one of those I, I strongly recommend it uh, but to see again not just my kids but a lot of young uh, kids be a part of different groups of different generations uh, coming together just to pray together uh, pray for each other pray for our community and uh, to pray for the world around us it really excited me that that was how my kids were experiencing church and I'm so proud of our church in that sense and I'm really excited about what God's going to do through this next generation in our church and in our community. How good is that to see those images? And um, I echo Paul's uh, comments there. <clears throat> what does all this mean for you and I? Um, Last week, Ross challenged us about hospitality and also about being a people of prayer. Uh, this week, we saw that happen as, uh, as many people gathered each day to pray for our youth camp. There are many opportunities for prayer and I, I want to encourage you to grab hold of those opportunities. We know people pray uh, in their own uh, space and on their own in their own journey with you but there's something special about gathering with others and hearing the prayers of others and supporting and endorsing that and I want to encourage you to do that I guess I want to pose to you the question can we count you in um, I'm jumping over a little bit because I want to give Paul uh, Fedema an opportunity to also come up and share uh, a couple of things that he's reflected on in his time as one of our long-serving elders. Um, so, Paul, would you come and join us and uh, share some of your thoughts, please? Morning. Uh, God is up to something and uh, he's inviting us to join him in what he's already doing. Uh, around July this year, we, we uh, sold our house in Rangeville uh, in view of our pending move up to the Sunshine Coast in the new year. And uh, that meant for our life group that we needed to find a different place to meet for the fourth term. 
And uh, rather than get them to travel across to the other side of town where we're now living, I uh, spoke to Jenny Savile and, and asked her if it would be possible for us to meet at the church and uh, run our life group out of the church. And she said, that'll be fine. So um, I said, we meet on a Tuesday night. And she sort of said, yep, that should be good. Uh, you you realise that there are two other groups that meet here on a, on a Tuesday night. Uh, a young adults group meet up in the loft. And then there's Ross's year 13's group that also meet here. And, um, but she said, we'll be able to find you a place where you'll be able to sit and run your group without too many interruptions. And for the purpose of this uh, exercise, we'll call our group the Dinosaurs. And that's that we are a mature group, not just old. So uh, we, we come to church. We, we'd arrive here a bit before the younger people, around seven. We'd have our, our supper and then we'd move into our room, the welcome lounge up there where we'd shut the doors and, and we'd go into our room and do our study And as the young people would, would enter the church. And I'm sure Ross has already tuned them up saying, you realise there is another group meeting with us, uh, an older group, dinosaurs, uh, in the room there, so just be respectful. And we did that for about three weeks and then my wife, probably divinely inspired, spoke to Ross and said, we'd like to host the young groups uh, supper for a night. And without talking to the rest of the group, she, uh, and Ross agreed, thought that was a great idea. So she came back into the group and said, we're going to be hosting uh, the young adults supper. And the look of horror and fear on, on the faces of our group initially, possibly how we're going to feed this uh, young, energetic, with healthy appetites group. And the other, what are we going to do with them? What are we going to talk about? But um, yes, so although there are many things that we don't have in common with these young people, there is a lot that we do have in common through our relationship with Jesus. Brendan made a statement two weeks ago in his message, uh, and it's been used by Churches of Christ. I've heard it a number of times before. And it, it sort of goes, in essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. As our attention is directed away from ourselves and directed towards Jesus and his mission, our vision of life changes. We have a different perspective on life. Jesus is shaping our lives and we have an eternal perspective, as Graham Jones spoke about in his message. Where we see things through a different lens and we see people differently as well. So this is what happened on that Tuesday night experience with the young people. It was a true, true blessing for everyone involved to see the young and the old coming together and it wasn't that scary, was it, Dion? <laughs> and there was plenty of food for everyone as well. So now, personally, I have the names to match some of these young faces. Uh, Aidan, Jared, Reese, Lecoq, Rowan, Braden, Tegan and Muhammad, just to name a few. I can pray for these young people. Pray that God would grow them, encourage them, equip them and use them in his mission to reach the lost. You could also pray that God would raise up future leaders out of these young people.
leaders that will lead this church. Another thing that was quite evident from our conversations and observations was the fact that these young people were very relaxed and comfortable coming here on a Tuesday night. Some of them I spoke to, it was their first time. Others had only been coming along for a short time. But there was a real sense of belonging and being accepted for who they were. And Ross promotes this so well in all that he does. And I believe this is a biblical principle, as Jesus himself was one who hung around with the ones that weren't part of the religious uh, groups, the ones that were, were different, the ones that um, yeah, weren't accepted, and he was criticised for what he did. This probably marries up with how Jenny and I became Christians ourselves, having not grown up in a church and become Christians later in life. We met a group of people who were genuine and loving and loved us as Jesus would. And in this place of belonging and trust, the work of the Holy Spirit, the gospel message can be presented and through this, lives can be transformed and shaped by Jesus. Now, we're all, we're not, we're all on that journey, but we're not there yet. And I believe, as Mike spoke, that the prayer meetings last week were another example of young people coming together, different nationalities, um, yeah, different races, coming together with one thing in common, with Jesus at the centre. And uh, it's such a blessing to be part of these meetings. Our church recently completed a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And these recent experiences have highlighted to me that the fruit of the Spirit is not developed in a classroom or listening to a podcast or even listening to a good sermon from a humorage preacher. The fruit of the Spirit, or godly character, is developed in community as we interact with one another. The patience, the love, the joy, the peace, the goodness, the gentleness, the kindness and self-control we have opportunities to develop that fruit through the work of the Holy Spirit. Earlier this term, Ross uh, was short of bus drivers uh, at Stumpy's and asked if I could help out. It's been a little while since I've done a, a Stumpy's bus run and, and um, so I said, yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to help out. And, yeah, the, the group, I was driving the larger bus, um, and the group was mainly within the 5K radius of, of the church that I, I had to pick up and drop back. And I was amazed how different it was from when I used to do the bus runs. Um, the, I probably counted five or six different nationalities on the bus. And uh, it was such a blessing to be part of that. But I had a young leader uh, that Ross selected for me, Samuel, uh, young African guy. He thinks he's 18, but they say he's 16, so they don't really know how old he is. But, yeah, he, he was uh, such a blessing to be uh, my navigator on that bus. He had the respect of the others in the group. He, he, he was happy to, to direct and find the addresses. And I, I just sense that Ross is developing these young leaders uh, from these different nationalities to be part of the future of this church. 
So we're seeing it at Stumpies, we're seeing it at youth, we're seeing it at homework, health and, and English classes. My great expectation for the future is that as we continue to reach out into our communities and serve, then with the heart of Jesus, opportunities will be provided for us to share our faith. And Humerich Church will more and more be a reflection of the community we are ministering to in the future. And young leaders and um, pastors will be part of this church from other, you know, other cultures and they will draw people into our church. So we're thankful for be, to be part of this church. Jenny and I have been here for 21 years and, um, yeah, we've been blessed by our time here. We've been thankful for the leadership and right from the start when we were here, it was obvious that the leadership of this church practised what they preached and led by example. And that has been a blessing to us. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. In my early uh, days as a leader here at Hume Ridge, uh, we held a ministry expo um, before this auditorium was built. And all the volunteers and ministries uh, had the opportunity to promote uh, the things that they did and how people could get involved. I remember the excitement, the enthusiasm around the whole gathering. Uh, we celebrated what God had done and still wanted to see Hume Ridge do as a community. People signed up to serve in new areas. They discovered that there were needs and opportunities that they were not aware of before. People made new connections with other members uh, of this faith community. It was an awesome day. People have said we should do that again. Maybe we should. But you know what? We don't need a ministry expo um, to be a part of what God is doing. There are opportunities galore. The encouragement is to step into those opportunities, to step up, to be a part of the things that you've heard about and that you know about. Don't wait until a new year comes to make some resolutions. Make it now, today. I invite you to say, count me in. I want to be a part of what's happening here. Humeridge is just not a church, it's not the only church. My prayer and my hope is that you would say, Humeridge is my church. Because you've seen what God is doing, He's at work in you and through you as we fulfil the Great Commission in this faith community. And I hope you can say it's my church because you love it. final passage I want to share, just to wrap up, comes from Hebrews 10. It's a passage I've held on to for a long time and continue to be challenged by. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Would you please stand with me?
Two weeks ago, Brendan finished with these verses from Ephesians chapter 2. I'd like to do the same today. As a prayer, recognizing our God who is in control, able to do anything, helping us by His Spirit to be the church that He wants us to be for this generation and for generations to come. And now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.